Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. should mention also, uh, Keith Kemper is having knee replacement surgery on Tuesday, so I know Keith would appreciate your prayers and a good recovery. It's also good to have Dan inquire with us this morning on his crutches, but uh, he uh, is recovering good from his ankle fusion, and I know he's appreciated your prayers as well. One of the uh, really great questions in the Bible, it takes place in the book of Daniel, where Daniel is about to be thrown into the lion's den. Most people have heard about Daniel in the lion's den. And the king did really not want to throw Daniel in the lion's den. He was not one of these tricked or just wasn't paying very close attention. But he got into a spot where it had to happen according to his own laws. And he had Daniel thrown into the lion's den, a den of hungry lions. It was sealed shut. And the king went home that night and instead he had a very sleepless night. He just could not sleep. He was just so upset and worried about this because he did not want Daniel to be hurt. And the next day, uh, he came and he said this. He says, he came near the den. He called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lion's den? That question, Daniel, has your God been able to rescue you? From the lion's den. Could he do it? Was he able to do it? And of course I think you know how the story ends. Yes he was able to do it. He sent an angel. Daniel said. Don't worry. My God sent an angel. He closed the lion's mouth. And I am okay. And the king was so happy. Is your God able? Uh, today we're going to look at Second Timothy chapter 4. And another person who was faced the mouth of the lion, so to speak, and discussed this morning as we consider one more encounter with God. We've been doing a series since after Christmas on encounters with God, and this will be our last one. Next week we're going to start a new study. This will be our last week of encounters with God, and I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy, most likely Paul's last epistle, and we'll see that in the context here as we look at this. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And let's pray. Father, as we open your word, we pray that uh, you would help our hearts to and minds to understand your word, but not just to understand it, but to uh, involve our lives with it, to live it. And Lord, we thank you from, uh, for these accounts from Scripture, these very personal accounts of people's encounters with you. And we trust, Lord, that we will encounter you every day, every, every day that we walk with you. And so we give this time to you now and ask your blessing upon us. In Christ's name, amen. We come to the end of the book of Timothy. And, of course, we're jumping in the middle of a context here. But this, this is really uh, Paul's farewell. This is his uh, last letter. He's preparing to leave this earth, we believe. We don't know for sure exactly his itinerary, his chronology toward the end of his life. Most Bible teachers will agree, based on what we read, not only in his various uh, 
greetings and words in the letters, but also in the um, book of Acts, as we get to the end of it, it appears what happens is we come to the end of Acts, Paul is under house arrest in Rome. And, he, and Acts closes that way, because Acts is not a story of the life of Paul. It's a story of the life of the gospel of Jesus Christ going out to the world. And at the end of the book of Acts, Paul is under house arrest. And it says he remained there for, for two years, uh, under house arrest, continuing to preach and teach all who, who he could have contact with. He wrote the prison epistles that uh, he sends out to the churches like Ephesus and Colossae and Philippians. He sends out these epistles from a prison under house arrest. People could come and visit him. As long as somebody helped pay the expenses, he could live in a hired apartment, a rented apartment, if, and, but he still was with the Roman guard. He's under house arrest. And it appears what happened, based on what we read in Timothy, is that he was released from house arrest, and he went out and traveled and then continued to, 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 to minister again. And then during that time, during Nero's reign, if you know anything of Roman history, you know the story that uh, that uh, Rome burned, right? And it apparently that uh, Nero blamed the Christians for it and began a, a very serious persecution of the Christians during this time. We have some literature from those those days that talk about this. It's a very violent persecution toward Christians as putting blame on them for the fires in Rome. Paul was probably then rearrested and brought back to Rome to face trial. And this time... Uh, he was going to be uh, executed when it was all over, and he would, and his life would be over here on this earth. And he would be beheaded as a Roman citizen. He would not be crucified or tortured. He would be beheaded as a Roman citizen. So it's in this context that he writes to Timothy, who is, uh, we call these the pastoral epistles because he is a, a, a pastor, an overseer pastor probably, and he writes to him, and you'll see, for example, in chapter 4, in the present, and you see the urgency, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom. I give you this charge. Preach the word. I give you this, this responsibility, Timothy. Don't neglect it. Preach the word. This has been the, 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 the theme of this book, to guard the deposit that was given to you, to guard this deposit and to, and to preach this word, and, and don't neglect this. And we see this, and he, and he talks about how things are going to come. Verse 3, times will come when people will not put up with this. And they'll turn away. And then verse 6, and notice this language. I am already being poured out like a drink offering. A, a, an offering that they brought into the temple and they poured out on the altar was a drink offering. It's a, it's a gradual process. Paul says, my life has been poured out as a drink offering. The time has come for my departure to, to loose the moorings and the, and the ship to sail. Uh, the time is coming, and he's obviously talking about his life, not his departure from prison. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now, faith. now there is let store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also who love him and long for his appearing. So, Almost all Bible scholars read this and read the context and so on and know the history that, that Paul is, is preparing for his, his, his final death. And, and, he, and he's preparing Timothy for this and preparing him to, to, to continue this ministry. Timothy and Titus and men like that to continue this ministry and be faithful. This appears to be the context of Second Timothy. It is very close to the end. 
in light of that, it is kind of interesting to me. And look what Paul describes his situation here. He's in Rome. He's under arrest this time. He's not in house arrest. This time he's in what we would call maybe a dungeon, a prison, a very a not nice condition. Even though he's a Roman citizen, this is not a nice condition, okay? And he says here, Timothy, verse 9, Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. One of his fellow workers, who he's depending on, Demas. He loved this world so much, he deserted me. Now, I want to be careful, you know, we, we don't read more into that because, you know, Mark deserted Paul. Remember in the first missionary journey, uh, John Mark, when Paul and Barnabas um, went and he took his cousin, John Mark, and they got partway through and John deserted him. They had to go back. He, he left. We don't know that Demas did this forever. Let's, we'll, we'll give him a little benefit of a doubt. But in this particular case, for whatever reason, he's left and, and Paul says, he's deserted me. Not only that, but um, he's gone to Thessalonica. Crescens, where, where there was a church at Thessalonica, right? The Thessalonian epistles. Crescens has gone to Galatia. It doesn't say he deserted, but he is gone. He's gone to Galatia. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me, Dr. Luke. He is the only one that is with me in Rome. You're getting the impression that Paul is in a... He's letting us know. He's by, he's on his own with, with Luke, his physician. And it's, it's a difficult time to have these, these people gone. Some that he has sent, others that, that have left. Mark, get Mark. And I, this is interesting. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. So just, you know, we've, we've preached on that before. That's the message all in itself. This is Mark who deserted him before. Now he is so valuable of all the people he could ask for. He says, Timothy, bring Mark. He is very helpful. He has been reconnected and restored to ministry. Okay, so this is very important. Bring Mark with you and bring him because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Mark also helped with Peter. We'll see that in Peter's epistle. So there's a man who was restored to ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. This is interesting to me. Here is, a, here is Paul who clearly is expecting the end. I mean, it's, it's really pretty clear. He says, I'm being poured out. My race is finished. The time of my departure is, is here. But Timothy, and, and this is going to take a while to get there. Wherever, wherever Timothy is, it's going to take him a while to get there. This is not an airplane trip. This is going to take a while. And he says to him, Timothy, by the way, when you come, bring my coat, bring my cloak, that I left at Carpus at Troas. I just thought this was interesting. And bring my scrolls, especially my parchments. Well, he, I mean, he's at, he's toward the end here. And yet, I mean, I run into this quite often. People will, will say, I don't know why God has me here still. Sometimes people are in such difficult physical situation. They just come to that point. I, I, I hear this all the time, you know, and I understand that. I don't really understand it because I'm not in that position, but I understand from my experience, I, I appreciate it, I get it. Why, why does God still have me here? Why does God take this person who was 30 years old? And why, why? I say, you know what? As long as we have breath, that's up to God. Right? Come on, can somebody say amen? Thank you. That's up to God. And here Paul is at the end of his life. And he says, By, Timothy, bring my scrolls. Well, the scrolls were probably portions of the Old Testament. I gotta read them. I gotta study. 
I bring my parchments. I got to write. I got things to write. I got I got work to do until I take my last breath. So I think this is an encouragement, at least to me, that friends, wherever God places us, for whatever reason, doesn't matter what age you are, we get those points in our life where we say, I don't really know what God has for me. Why? What is God? Why has God done this? What's for, listen? That's up to God. And, and, and Paul says, bring these things. Bring these things to me. And then he says that he talks about Alexander, who did him much harm. Timothy, watch out. Here's here's our encounter with God today. Verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. Now think about that for a minute. Here's the apostle who has spent years, 30 years or more, giving up everything, going around the world. He said he wanted to get to Spain. We don't know if he got there or not. Spain was was the end of the world in Europe, right? That was as far west as you could go for the most part. He said, I want to go to Spain. Like he said, on my way there, I'm going to come to you at Rome. So we don't know if he got there or not. But he has gone all over the world. He has He has sacrificed everything to help plant churches, to train elders, to teach people, to help with conflicts. He tells us in Corinthians how, and that's an early epistle, how he's been beaten, he's been stoned and left for dead, he's been whipped multiple times, 39 lashes, he's been scoffed at. He, he must have bore the physical marks on his body from all these beatings and things he had been through. And here's a man who has, who has done all of this for all of these people, and he comes to the end of his life, and not one person will come forward to stand at him. Because you see, this is like his arraignment. Think of it this way in a court scene today. This is his arraignment. The charges are going to be levied. It would be normal to have a character witness come with you and say, listen, I'd like to speak up for this man. I would like to tell you this is not true what you're saying about him. I want to... It, this is normal. This is normal today to, to, to invite character type witnesses at times uh, during the legal process or to write letters of, of, of character witness for people. This is uh, he would have an he would have an attorney. He would have a a patronus, someone who come and stand with him. Certainly, there was a Christian person in that role in Rome. Not one person would come up there and risk standing with Paul. And saying, I, I support this man. Because to do so would put you in grave danger yourself of suffering as Paul is going to suffer as a ringleader for this Christian sect. Not one person. Talk about lonely. Talk about the potential for discouragement. To get to that point and not one person. But look what he says. May it not be held against them. And I'd like to just stop for a moment there. Have you heard that before? He, he says to Timothy, Timothy, not one person would stand with me. May it not be held against them. Have you heard that before? Huh? Stephen. St- Father, do not hold this against them when they were stoning him to death. And we talked about in that encounter with God how Stephen's reflecting the Lord Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And, and, and Paul, in this situation, where, where he could have used at least one person, it's just like Jesus, right? Jesus is, comes to the end, and he, and he asks his disciples, would you come, just come and be here with me. Just stay awake as, as we're here. And they all fall asleep. 
And then when he's when he's taken into to, to, to the Roman court situation, and and they all desert him, and even Peter is outside denying, swearing up and down he's never met the man, and everybody abandoned him, and and Paul comes to this point in his life. Peter may have too, comes to this point in his life where where everybody abandons. The only person who probably would have been there was Luke, but but he is not there right now because he is with him later. They all abandoned him. They're all gone for whatever reasons. And he says, but God, don't hold this against him. Why? This is not about Paul. This is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And several of those individuals are probably going to be very important in the work that is going to happen down the road. There is a lot more to do. And, and Paul doesn't want any of these people being, being, being left aside. Don't hold it against him, Timothy. Be gracious. Be forgiving. I understand. This is a dangerous situation. Yes, it would be nice for someone to at least come and stand with me and help me during this time. But don't hold it against them. We are going to need these people. And I want to just stop here and encourage you to remember that God has called us to be forgiving. God has called us all to be forgiving. Don't be so easily angered and 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 upset that 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 you don't you're not willing to forgive people especially brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ we need each other we need to work together we need to serve together we're all going to make mistakes we're all going to let people down we're all going to let people down and i really appreciate this attitude that we see in the Lord Jesus Christ we see it in Stephen and we see it here in Paul this is not the most important thing don't hold it against them be forgiving Here's Paul's encounter with God. It's another encounter that's not quite so dramatic. There's no lights. There's no thunder. There's, there's, there's no wrestling, right? There's all these different things, some of the things we've seen. But look what he says here. But, verse 17, the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. The Lord stood. I wasn't alone. I wonder if he got to the point where he was really feeling alone and vulnerable. We talked about this last week. Paul was human. Paul is not divine. Paul is not God. He's just like you. He's just like me. He has got his weaknesses. He's a human being. This is very disappointing to get to this point and nobody will even stand with you. No one will even Take a seat with you or stand with you or speak up for you. This is very hard. This is discouraging. Do you feel like, do you feel like just saying, okay, fine, you guys take care of this. I'm done with you. I mean, I don't know what's going through his mind. He says, don't, don't hold it against him. But all of a sudden, Paul has a very real sin. I don't think this is just a, just a, a general thought that, yeah, God is always with us. We sung this morning, I need thee every... It's then we also sung a song that says, Here I raise my Ebenezer. Okay? <laughs> Amen. Um, you know, when you when you hear Ebenezer, what do you think of? Thank you, Scrooge. Ebenezer Scrooge. <laughs> okay. yeah. oh. But uh, the newer translations of our hymns have changed that, uh, some of them. But here I raise my Ebenezer. It's, it's a Hebrew phrase, Aven etzer. And, and, and Aven is rock or stone. Etzer is help. And so it's just a, it's a name of a place that's translated in, in, into uh, English. Here I raise, it was named the stone of my help. Eben Etzer, my Ebenezer. That's what it means. So you like that we still say Ebenezer. Good, Rich. Okay. So listen, 
Where was I going with that? I was just kind of an extra, okay? <laughs> just throw that in there for the worship committee. All right. But he had a very real sense. Of, oh, it fits with that. A very real sense, I think, that Christ is standing right next. He needed someone to stand next to him to speak to the Roman court and say, wait a minute, let me tell you about this man. Let me tell you how many people's lives have been changed. Let me tell you about the good things they're doing. Let me tell you about the people in Jerusalem, the poor saints that he's gone around collecting money so they could eat in the Jewish community in Jerusalem. Let me tell you about the people that have been healed, the people that have lives have been changed. Let me tell you about the change in his life. Nobody would do that. But all of a sudden, Paul has an encounter with Christ, a very real sense that Christ himself is standing right next to him. I think it's a very real sense. It's an encounter with Christ, a very unique encounter with Christ. I don't think it's just the general thought that, yes, God is always with me. I think all of a sudden, Paul received this strength and courage because Christ was standing right next to him. Listen, friends. How might, how might that change our walk with Christ if all of a sudden we really knew He was literally right there when we needed Him? If Paul ever needed Him, it was right now. Because I wonder if, he, I wonder if he's going to shut down. I wonder if he's losing his courage. But he said, when all of a sudden I realized I wasn't alone, Jesus was standing right next to me. Look at the result. Because of that, he gave me strength. Well, if he gave him strength, that must have meant he was needing strength, which means to me he was maybe wavering about proclaiming the gospel. He was he was weak. I needed strength, and all of a sudden I received it because I'm not alone. My 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 attorney is right here, and he's the best one possible. And I got strength. And because of that. I preached the message. See, this is what matters. The encounter with God. So that the gospel, through me, the message might be fully proclaimed, completely proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. I don't think he means here all the Gentiles in the world, but he is in the, he is in the heart of the Gentile world. He is in Rome. He is in New York City. He's in Paris. He's in London. He's in Seattle, right? He's, he's, he's right in the heart. This is the heart of the Gentile world. And he says, I was able to proclaim the gospel clearly. I had time to, to tell them why I'm here. And because Jesus kept standing there and kept encouraging me, and through me I kept preaching, and all the Gentile court heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, one of those people there in including the government officials, maybe Nero himself, could ever stand before God and say, I never heard that you love me. I never heard that. No, no, they heard it. They heard it. They heard it. And people, can, we see later, people from, from, from the Roman and Caesar's own household. Caesar's own household had come to Christ for faith. We read that in the epistles. This is spreading. And Paul says, I was strengthened. Why? Because I had an encounter with Christ. And there he was. And it enabled me to speak the gospel. And the result is this. I, the Gentiles all heard it. And the result is this. I was delivered from the lion's mouth. 
Well, as a Jew, wouldn't that be a hearkening back to the story of Daniel? I was put there in the lion, I was put there in the lion's den. The, the thing was shut. I was all alone. I haven't got a chance. And what happens? There's an angel of God who closes the lion's mouth. And Paul says, I was delivered as Daniel was from the mouth of the lion. I was delivered. Bring my parchments. Bring my scrolls. I got more work to do. Get here quickly. I was delivered for now. But but notice what he says here. Verse 18. The Lord... But boy, talk about confidence. Talk about confidence. We are to have confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. We talk about this, that we are to have confidence in our, in our eternal salvation. To have confidence. He says, listen, the Lord, not might, not maybe, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So the message here is, listen, I was delivered. Why? Because Christ stood right next to me. And he delivered me. But I want you to know, Timothy and everybody else, I am going to be delivered ultimately from every evil attack. Listen, Paul's head was brutally severed from his body with a sword. He was buried. But he was delivered. It reminds me of the other story in the book of Daniel. I think think maybe the strongest profession of faith in the Bible were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are about to be thrown into that fiery furnace. And they they get one more chance to denounce their God and worship the statue. One more chance. And you know what they say? Listen, O king, our God is able to deliver us from you. But if he chooses not to, we just want you to know we never would have worshipped your idol. To me, that is the strong affirmation of faith. They don't say, listen, king, <coughs> excuse me, we know that God's going to save us and we're going to, we're going to come out of this fire up fine. They said, no, he may, he may choose to allow us to, to, to be incinerated. But we still want you to know we never would have worshipped. That, friends, is deliverance from all evil. The confidence we have as believers in Jesus Christ as part of God's family, <coughs> excuse me, no matter what happens, no matter what happens, we have confidence that we will finally be home. Listen, maybe sometime this past week, or maybe in the week to come, you, you needed to just know that Christ is standing right beside you. What a wonderful encounter with God to end on. All of a sudden I realized Jesus himself was standing right next to me. And I got strength to proclaim the gospel. I've mentioned people this morning that have had some tough times lately. You have tough times too. I'm not just talking about physically, but there's all sorts. Life is challenging, right? Life is life. 
Christ is standing right with us. And he always will. He always will. We're going to sing a wonderful song in a minute. It's my favorite song. I've told you many times that uh, uh, when I die, and if, if you're still here and you come to my service, you can sing this song and then go eat. Okay? <laughs> There's nothing else to say. Until Deacon is better get some extra food ready because you're giving them extra time there. Frederick Lehman was a California businessman. He lost everything. Lost everything through some tough business times. Lost everything. He was forced to spend his working hours working in a Pasadena packing plant, packing oranges and lemons in the crates. He was a hymn writer. He wrote poetry. And he rejoiced in his salvation. He was so moved by a Sunday evening sermon on the love of God, he could hardly sleep. The next morning, the thrill of the precious evening had not left him. As he drove to the packing house, the makings of a song began to come together in his head with God's love as its theme. Throughout the day, as he packed oranges and lemons, the words continued to flow. He jotted maybe some words down on pieces of broken crate as he went along, or paper. He committed these to, to memory and, and to paper. He got home, hurried to his old piano, and began to arrange the words and composing a melody to fit them. You know, he got the music and the words. He soon had finished two stanzas and the melody to go along with them. But what was he to do? In those days, a song had to have at least three stanzas. So like the Trinity, you had to have three stanzas. He could only come up with two stanzas. He could not come up with that third stanza for this to, to qualify as a legitimate hymn to publish. He tried and tried, but nothing. It was then that he remembered a poem someone had given him some time before. Hunting around his office, he found the poem printed on a card which he had used as a bookmark, and he read the words. His heart was thrilled by the adequate picture of God's love they, they, they pictured. And then he noticed this writing on the bottom of this card. Quote, these words were found written on a cell wall in a prison some 200 years ago. It is not known why the prisoner was incarcerated. Neither is it known if the words were original or if he heard them somewhere else and had decided to put them in a place where they could be remind, he could be reminded of the greatness of God's love. He wrote them, some, some think it was an insane asylum, they called it in those days, for, for people with mental uh, challenges and illnesses or whatever. We don't know, for, but he, he wrote them on this, this cell wall so he could see them. In due time, he died. And the men who had the job of repainting this cell were impressed by the words, and before their paintbrushes had obliterated them, one of the men jotted them down, and those words were preserved. That's what it said in this little card for this, this, this poem he found. He went to his piano. He began to voice the words with the melody. They were a perfect fit. They fit the melody perfect. It's not so easy, right? It, it takes a little work. It fit perfectly. It was a miracle. And the song was published. In the 11th century, the Middle Ages, in the 11th century, in the Middle Ages, in Germany, there was a rabbi, a scholar, a cantor, Meyer ben Isaac Nahora. 
the AI sound, the Horai. And it was during the time of the Crusades, and there's a lot of traditions about this. He was a very well-known rabbi, contemporary of Rashi's. And there's a lot of stories and so on. We aren't sure exactly, but it was during the time of the Crusades when the Crusaders were coming through and terrorizing Jewish communities. They would set up sort of a false debate situation where the rabbi would have to come and debate, and it was, it was rigged, it was fixed, he would lose, and he could lose his life. It's possible his wife and child was, had been killed earlier during this time by this violence. He wrote a poem in Aramaic, which is a form of Hebrew, it's a later form of Hebrew, it's the language Jesus spoke. He wrote a poem, a 90-line poem, an acrostic, a left, a left, bet, bet, you know, all the way down. He wrote it in Aramaic, so the Gentiles wouldn't really get it. But it was his defense of his faith and of his God. This poem is called the Akdamut. It is a, it is read every year in June at Shabbat, Pentecost. Every year in the synagogue, in the Ashkenazi synagogues, as the Torah scrolls come out, before the Old Testament is opened up to read, as it's open to read, this prayer comes out by the cantor. And it's sung. It's sung. And it, it, every year, every year the Akdamat is sung. And it begins like this. Before I begin to read his words, I will ask permission of the one whose might is such that. That's an interruption. And they stop. And before the Torah is completed or the Ten Commandments read, as Shabbat, Pentecost, which today is the celebration of the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. It's also the Feast of Weeks. We'll talk about that another time. And here's the poem. Even if all the heavens were parchment, and all the reeds pens, and all the oceans ink, and all the people were scribes, it would be impossible to record the greatness of the Creator. If all the heavens were parchment, and all the reeds were pens, and all the oceans ink, and all the people were scribes, it would be impossible to record the greatness of the Creator. Whoever wrote those words on that prison wall knew this poem. It's read every year in the synagogue. Could we with ink the third stanza that finished the hymn? Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made where every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God, slight change from the greatness of God, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Listen, we've been talking about encounters with God. The only reason God encounters humanity is because He has chosen to love us. He has chosen by His will to love us deeper than we will ever 
comprehend. Let's sing the love of God. And then we'll go have lunch, Gary. Okay? Will you stand with us one more time? Let's close our service in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we leave today, might each one of us, we know Christ as Savior, leave this place knowing that Jesus Christ is by our side. And may we, like the apostles and the Lord Himself, we forgive. We will not hold against our brothers and sisters. We will help them rise up and work together in this great work. And Lord, we will have courage because we will, we will know that you are by our stead. Make yourself real. Open our eyes. Help us to understand you are always with us. And may the gospel of Jesus Christ go forth freely from his people in this week to come throughout the world. And we have encouragement and confidence that you will deliver us from all situations. And we have perfect confidence that we will be delivered into your care to serve you for all eternity. We stand today in the love of God, our Savior Jesus Christ, and the presence of the precious Holy Spirit. In Christ, our Savior's name, and in the name of the love of God, let all God's people say together, Amen. Amen. Serve the God with joy and gladness this week.